Hello and welcome back to the Making Things Work podcast where we discuss all things digital transformation and leadership in the workplace. I'm your host Duncan Pryor and I help organisations simplify and transform through the use of technology. And today I'm delighted to be joined by Anya Zorovkina, founder of Winning Language. And in a developing theme of the Making Things Work podcast, we've actually met recently and we've spent some time discussing the topics we're going to go through today. So welcome, Anya. Thank you so much for having me. No trouble. So I'd love to start by giving our listeners a bit of background on you and then how you came to starting Winning Language. Well, I've always been fascinated by language and the effect it has on people, writing, words, uh, and different languages as well, although uh, I primarily work in English. And I used to be, uh, to the start of my own business, uh, the director of language at KPMG, which I know sounds like quite a grand title, but it was meant basically, I was injecting much more of the human speak into consultants and accountants who worked in KPMG, particularly with the lens of uh, sales. So getting them to communicate and give them the confidence really and the skills to communicate with clients to win business, to build relationships. And that's really where I saw this really big need really uh, to help technical brains that are phenomenal uh, at doing all the techie stuff, but may not quite uh, be as uh, brilliant uh, at getting their messages across and really getting across what they want to say in a clear way, but also in a way that moves the other person. So I was there for about uh, seven years or so. Um, and then I thought, why not make the jump and uh, help even more people beyond uh, the big four with this uh, skill, which I think everyone needs to hone and become far, far, far better at. Fantastic. Well, so that'll, that leads us in nicely to um, today's show, which we're calling The Art of Persuasion. And as the title suggests, we're going to zoom in on this, on this topic. And in, and what we'd like to do is discuss the world of professional services, where that's ultimately what we do all day, isn't it? And what, so what I'd like to do is bring it down to the, and connect it with the world of digital transformation, where yeah. we're often giving updates, persuading others, or sometimes even getting behind, uh, asking people to get behind and support uh, changes. So the question is, so we've got, we've got, we have to do something. We're trying to get the message across so people understand the concept. The explanation is nice and clear. And then there's enough detail as well behind all that so that people feel confidence in, in what, what, what we're uh, about to describe. So, so Anya, then in your experience, why is this so difficult? <laughs> the million dollar the million dollar question um i think there's a number of things really um and we don't want to take up the whole time we have with uh why it's so difficult to do exactly but actually i think it starts even before people enter the world of work um it starts with education and fundamentally i think a lot of our education and it has moved even further into um teaching us grammar and spelling and all of those important things, but the art of persuasion, persuading other people, um, getting on a stage and talking and getting your point across, whether it might be debating or it might be oracy, uh, as the uh, as this could be described, is lacking in education. And interestingly, actually, Labour put it as one of their big uh, policy pledges if they get into yeah. power. 
uh, because it is such, it's been seen as such a missing skill. So it starts with education. And then when people enter the world of uh, work, professional work, everyone has these things of like baggage, as I call it, because we then assume that it's ultimately, of course, it's the technical capabilities that get us further up the ladder. So we really focus on that and hone those skills. But all the other skills are kind of sort of left by the wayside. I don't think people realize quite often the power of there might be two technical people in the room, yet if one is really skilled at whether it's getting your point across or telling a story or moving the other person, the likelihood is they're going to be more successful than the person next to them. And that's all the way through, whether it's interviews, whether it's on projects, whether I want to work with you. So it's kind of so, there's so many different dimensions to it. Um, but unfortunately, the businesses that don't focus on it as much or don't do it at the level where it needs to start through, people get to really senior positions. And although instinctively you know that this, you know, um, potentially will help you, they don't necessarily get there, you know, quickly enough. So I think that's part of the trouble and part of the the, the mess we're in. Yeah, it's it's interesting to me because I think I think what you see sometimes is people going right back to sort of education. Some people tend to not to be uh, so good at the actual exams at school, and we we have a it's a bit of a pet subject of mine. There's many many examinations, and that can sort of drill th- certain things out of you. Um, other people who who never really got into passing exams are incredibly good. But then yeah. it's almost like they're freed of of these uh, of that constraint of feeling they've always got to kind of get the right answer. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and I think that's that's exactly it. People want to get to the to the right answer, but they sort of go, it's it's they do it from their perspective. It's about me, and it's a really common thing. Of course, it is right. It's about me getting my point across, and it has to be right. Versus asking yourself a really simple question: How do I want? The person listening to me, how do I want them to feel? How do I want them? What do they need to know? And how do I want them to feel at the end of it? And then let me work backwards from that rather than from starting from the the other point. So you're and you're right, like whether you're you might be the, you know, the, the Uber Wonderkind in school and you might be the most, you know, expert person um at the logic bit, at the bit that really does ace your exams. But that doesn't mean that you are a person that many, many people might like, that it doesn't mean you can build relationships in a really persuasive way. It doesn't mean that you will get further, further up through that. And um, more and more so, I love the fact that there's so much of our brains that um, are becoming more and more known. The, the neuroscience I find phenomenal around this because you know now we know that if you don't engage someone's uh, limbic system, the bit that makes yes. the decisions, and that's really where decision-making happens, but you have to engage it by um, getting someone to feel stuff, uh, ideally the good stuff that you want them to feel, then you're not going to make them, you know, you're not going to get very far. So it's a sort of in, in trying to connect with that, with that sort of the creative and ideas bit of the brain right. rather than the bit which is the, the, the bit that just... Um, where it strikes fear into people, which is the other part where you just have this re- negative reaction to everything because it's a, it's one of fear. Um, completely, which, completely, which, which can... definitely. Or the the other bit, which is really important, the neocortex. That's where facts and stats are coming from, and that's where that sits. But most people assume that that is the bit that you they need to get across quickly 
uh, and an enormous length. <laughs> and actually, it is important. Don't get me wrong. You can't. Yes. You need to know your stuff, right? This isn't completely just just make me feel stuff, and, and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you need to know yeah. your, your, your all the knowledge, all the logic, all of those bits, but don't lead with it. Uh, I don't assume that's the only thing you need. Yeah, and, and that follows on to another, from listening to one of your podcasts with, um, I've listened to a few of them, and they're, they're, they're really, really good. And the one with, uh, with Dana Dennis-Smith, where she was mm. talking about how you do have to think about yourself. And is that is that where you're coming from then? It's not so much it's almost a warning yourself about yourself rather than so your own your own motivation is it's it's a, a i guess it's a bit of a positive bit where you need to think well i'm different so mm-hmm. what i'll put people might not understand what i'm saying because i'm me and i'm just different from everyone and, and we're all different but then there is that side to it where the, you need to be wary of that as well and that, that that's the reason why people might not understand you because we're all different completely completely i think you need to you need to know what you want to get across, and you need to be confident in yourself. And yeah. um, I'm the biggest advocate for being authentic and um, not becoming this sort of corporate robot, if you like. I know we'll probably get onto AI because every other day someone asks me a question yeah. about whether what I think we'll about it. That. But you know, um, so the authenticity and the human aspect is is essential. But the the main thing is starting following up from that so starting with the other person and i find i do it in a lot of workshops where i do say here's a bit of communications that you might have written simple question is how do you want to make the other person feel not what do you need not the content you need to get across how do you want to make them feel i want to make them feel really engaged in this digital transformation and i want them to you know get more of their team to uh, to understand what we're doing and to ultimately change their systems right um, in, in your world, probably. Okay, well, let's then work from that to then work through what you need to say and how you say it and to achieve that aim versus I need to get across a really long piece of uh, reporting and yeah. I need to get that across uh, quickly. So then I tick that off my sheet, you know, and then that's done. That meeting is over, brilliant, successful. And you might have talked all the time because human beings are really bad at being very short and succinct if we don't plan what we're going to say our message. So um, unfortunately, then what happens is everyone is just overwhelmed. The meeting probably is late. <laughs> and again, it's it's a disaster zone. Uh, and there's so many of them day in, day out that we will have. Yes. Yes. So, so what so what we're saying here is, and you've got to, you, you've obviously, you've got to do your homework. You've got to be sort of well prepared and have, have understood that either the technical details or it could be the numbers, yeah. um, budgets, and all and all that stuff. But then it's almost like you almost need to say, okay, so I've got that now. Then stop and then take a step back, as it were, zoom out and think, okay, so what am I doing with this? And and I guess that's the common mistake is that we don't do that bit. We just cut and paste into powerpoint and then hope for the best spot on spot on cut and paste and font eight because we always want to get across far too much information and the other thing we don't actually do is go there's always multiple people right there's always multiple decision makers so part of this is going what is that decision maker like in terms of their personality what do they care about um some people are technical, so this isn't just to bring everything up to a really high level, because some people will be very technical, particularly I know lots of your decision makers 
that's yes. their, you know, the CIOs, that's their forte. That's where they, they go to typically. Um, versus perhaps more of the, if you're communicating with the CEOs, they tend to be a bit more visionary. Um, so they want something very short, very succinct and just hits the nail on the head of what they're needing to get across. So also doing that character um, analysis a little bit more rigorously, really. In, only in the most important meetings, really. You probably wouldn't want to do it. You don't have time to do it in every single meeting you're in. But um, that character analysis, again, then helps to shape what you put into the slide deck, it helps to shape the fact that this is all about you, it's about them. And um, and then just, again, see which one becomes more effective. It's all worth uh, trying out and seeing, really. Uh, but typically that's far more compelling, far more effective, and far more likely to stick. Because yes, on a couple, a couple of specific points there. For example, we, we've, we've talked before about the, the power of storytelling where you're rather than just yes, cutting and pasting, you're trying to tell a story. But then you've got the challenge where not everyone wants to necessarily hear the story. So you're, you're, you're seen as kind of wasting time because you're, you thought, well, you know, you say, well, let's go back and start at the beginning and just recap when in fact, no one, no one wants to recap. We just want to, we just want to get on with it. I think part of that is um, understanding what story is like, why you're using it. And also that there are multiple stories that you might include in a meeting. It's not all beginning, yes. middle and end of that meeting. And it has to follow all the storytelling sort of tropes, if you like. So there will likely be, if it's a successful, interesting meeting, there will probably be lots of stories peppered all the way through. And the stories can start in different places. And then it's understanding, it's having all these stories in your back pocket to know, let's say the meeting isn't going to plan because I don't know, you are asking for more time on a project and the other side isn't really understanding why and their deadlines are always pressing. I'm guessing that's probably, t what would be a typical, like, where would the crunch point happen? Would it be deadlines or costs or something like that? I think it's more um, often to do with um, the, the sticking, sticking point, I think, with digital transformation is the sort of tele technical solution concept. Yeah. It's it, when you turn, uh, you've got bits of pieces of software, but yeah. then the, you're trying to communicate in a slightly conceptual way and it comes yeah. across as conceptual <laughs> that yeah. not not actually yeah. something that's really going to help it just sounds like you're kind of drawing pictures and not really addressing the the, the problems that need solving and yeah. so but then if you dive onto those um the the, the sort of the, the details of it, it you you never you're, you've got no chance so you do, you do need to do that but then it's a great ha about how you do that so in that mind, you might go, okay, so it's, again, communicating the complexity of it in a way that someone else can understand clearly, right, and not going so far in. So there might be a, a story that happened on a previous project that you just want to have in your back pocket what you found and explained something really well. There might be actually good metaphors. Metaphors are brilliant in that respect when you're yeah. trying to um, get someone to understand something in, in their worlds, in, their, in the worlds that we know. Um, Again, metaphors I love because we use them all the time outside of work. We never bring them into the world of work because quite often people go, it's unprofessional or whatever it might be, whereas yes. it's so, so, so effective. It's brilliant. So loads of stories uh, going all the way through that, and it's just knowing which one to pluck out at which point and making sure that it's as strong as possible. There's, um, there's actually a brilliant um, – I looked into this uh, because I knew we were obviously going to chat – yeah. There's a brilliant story that if anyone wants to uh, delve into this topic more, I think it's really relevant for the, for the topic we're talking about. And it comes from 
a guy called Stephen Denning. And Stephen Denning has written loads and loads of books on the power of storytelling in the world of business. And he used to be a manager many moons ago, many uh, a couple of decades ago in the World Bank. And at the time, the World Bank, it sounds, it sounds crazy at the moment, but they never knew what a knowledge management system was and his job was to implement it. And what he found was over the years that he was trying to do this, no one really understood or got behind it. So again, changing a system, uh, changing processes, operations, everything else, exactly what you're trying to do, digital transformation most of the time. And no one was following him, no one cared, too much time, too much, uh, you know, effort, it felt like he was getting nowhere and his job was on the line because he was like, well, you know, it keeps having that no one is getting on board with this. And then what he, uh, I think actually himself, he'd say, he just, he just was literally so desperate to try something different because the way that he was talking about this and trying to get people on board wasn't working he started telling little mini stories about what would a knowledge management system if they had one would create so he talked about stories about health workers in zambia getting the answer to how to treat malaria at press of a button and at the moment that is not possible and the bank wasn't there to facilitate that conversation and discussion and kind of process so he started telling all of these you know, possibility, future stories, ultimately, um, to get people to emotionally engage and to support it. And guess what happened? Like, actually, the conversation yeah. started changing and he started seeing huge amounts of success from it, after which he sort of moved on from that world and has written loads of books on storytelling in, in business. And, um, again, to persuade people almost to, to to use this approach and to use it in so many different ways, depending on what you're trying to achieve. Yes. So when you were putting the putting your own um, story together, it's this idea of multiple stories rather than the story as in beginning, middle, end for your PowerPoint slide or whatever it is you're doing. You can just you, you can think about having multiple stories, which you may or may not present depending on what happens. Completely, completely. And also... It all depends on, again, what type of, it might be a future story where you go, actually, uh, if we were to do all of this technical uh, stuff, which some of you will understand, some of you won't, but this is what we'll achieve in the future and painting that future picture. You might start to tell a story about what happens if you don't. You might decide to choose to tell the story from a different starting point. So from a very negative up to a positive starting point, you know, stories start from so many multiple places. They all have that story arc, which uh, many people will know well. Um, but yeah, multiple places it could start from. There might be uh, a case, you know, a case study within the PowerPoint. There might be a beginning of a, it, there's just so many different um, things. So yeah, don't think about it as one static story for one meeting that starts from before, <laughs> before the time, <laughs> as you say, the history of the project, which everyone wants to go into the now, now, now. And it is only one technique. It's just a very, very powerful technique. But there's lots yes. of other things that you could do, the clarity, the succinctness, the metaphors that you can bring in, particularly for these problems when it's a complicated solution and you're trying to get uh, people to understand it in a, in a, in yeah. a way that they can get behind it. And you mentioned... Um... Uh, I think in one of the winning language podcasts as well, the idea of it's 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 completely obvious when you say it, but it's this idea of if they're to overcome some potential impatience, is you just put your the thing you're trying to you're asking for, put that on the first slide, 
just so the people who all they want is the answer you've 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 done that first and um takes a bit something to do that it's a bit of a, bit of a risky approach yeah. but it is but it isn't important to think that so rather than telling a whole story and thinking well at the end i'll give you the, the sort of the, uh, the 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 bid at the end, which is what you're typically asking for or recommending, you could put that first and just well, that's that covered off, and that that's another way to think about it. Completely. Um, most of the time, what I find we do is we uh, we almost like to tell a science experiment in our uh, in our PowerPoint decks and in our conversations. So we want to say all the background that's really important to us, or we think is important to the other person, that we get to the conclusion right at the end. Whereas actually the opposite is true because our attention spans are so short and we want to get to the point quickly. Again, it depends who you're talking to, but typically switching it across. And you're right, it does take uh, courage. It does take confidence to go, what if there was just one slide? I yeah. remember um, it was a it was a brilliant uh, project. We it was a big big bid that there was a, a multiple partners. There was a one of the big telcos involved. There was KPMG involved. There was a bank involved, and it was coming up with a technology solution actually. And I got involved because the team had a hundred slides that they were very very uh, precious about because it obviously had taken them a lot of time to prepare this pitch. They as often people start with a slide rather than dumping the slides and building the slides on afterwards. Um, and we got it down to one. And we got it down to one. It was this big picture. And everyone throughout the pitch talked to each of the elements in it. They had wow. It had it all there. But it was one. Um, and then before it was 100. And guess what? The client loved it. Of course they did. They were engaged. The conversation happened. It flowed. It wasn't yes. this, you know, quite often... I'm presenting and then the other person at the end listens or maybe not listening and then, you know, uh, chips in. It was turned around. Um, yes. But it was, it was all of this is a convincing game. I'm doing, I'm using the same skills that I know in the art of persuasion to convince others around me uh, to change what their language for, again, for the benefit of them or whatever they're trying to create. So uh, we're yeah. all playing this wonderful, wonderful game of moving people. In a, in a good yeah. way, positive way. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yes, yes. Because quite often what you find is if you're using uh, PowerPoint is that before you uh, click present, you, you've you put your, your slide deck up there. The first thing people look at is in the bottom left, it shows how many slides are and they go straight <laughs> into that. And if they see something like 50, they say, well, you know, are, they, before you've even started, they say, are you presenting 50 slides? You know, please no. Yeah, exactly. There's a brilliant... Um, if, if any of our listeners know about it, but I like to also use it either in my presentations or I, or I use it in coaching and training. And it's called the approach called Pechacucha or Pachacha. And it's basically the antidote to PowerPoint uh, slides. And it's a very short presentation style. There's 20 slides and you only have 20 seconds, I think, per slide. And it's on a timer. There's these big you know festivals and conferences and everything else because again and a, the slide has a big picture on so it can't have like uh 10 boxes a thousand words put into put into it no 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 big picture per slide to support your message um and it's such a wonderful one it's fantastic but it's 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 really difficult but it really trains your trains you to focus in, be compelling, uh, and be short and succinct and not rely on use it as a crutch, which most people do on that PowerPoint deck. Um, yes. 
So yeah, worth worth looking into if you want to really hone in on this skill. Yeah, and I'd love to in the future for us to do some more talks about it. So at the moment we're talking about the day to day uh creating slides for during in the course of a project sometimes short notice but it'd be great to do some others on the more formal aspects of proposals and sort of pitches mm. and public speaking uh, and we'll maybe come back to those some other time but i think now we're the next we have to make our uh, compulsory trip into ai uh, which, which we now do every week on the podcast <laughs> people hanging on <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because um it's such, a, it's such a hot topic at the moment, but one of the things I'm keen to do on, on the podcast is to bring up examples of where it can really, really help. So, and um, because we've all spent so many, so much time, so many years slaving over uh, creating content and what have you, and now help is at hand. So I just wanted to understand wow. your thoughts on, on the world of AI as, as it can apply to helping uh, consultants and professional services staff to, to do their job. Yeah, I mean, I think it's fair to say in the last uh, six months since uh, ChatGPT formally launched, the world has been an uproar, I think, at um, yeah. really uh, every single sector that I know of, it has affected from, uh, you know, uh, teachers and outright students using it, uh, university lecturers going, how will we ever mark exams properly through to professional services, through to strategy papers for clients being written using it um and this is just the start right which is such an exciting time um and then in my world obviously the world of writing communications uh pitching um everyone goes are you going to go under do you need do you need to change your business model do you need to switch to something completely different because surely you'll be out of a job and Ultimately, I think, uh, well, I think lots of things on the topic. I think to your uh, initial question, which is how can it help massively? Because Mm. that first draft, and I know so many people, and it's fantastic. It saves you time. That's what technology is so brilliant at doing. It can save you time. That fear of the blank page disappears, which is a real thing. Um, And it, it creates a really brilliant version. And I've been absolutely flabbergasted really at how the quality of it um tonally clarity of it the the content you know I look at not just at whether the content's accurate I look at how it comes across on a page I look at how clear it is how concise how compelling and it's it's fantastic with that but if the whole world moves to only using uh AI to communicate messages we will all move far into the world of ro- robots <laughs> rather than our, our unique individual selves with a point of view, with an opinion, with uh, yes. something to, you know, build that connection with another person. So I think uh, use it to give you that first draft and then critically spend your time critically thinking about the topic, critically reviewing yes. it, going, what is missing? What do I need to really add to make sure if two of us are trying to win a proposal, we use ChatGPT to write the executive summary, both versions will be exactly the same. The client's going to find it really difficult to choose or in the context of your world, two meetings happen, two slide decks get produced, two look very similar from different providers and people start going, did you plagiarize? No, just uh, used (laughs) some free online technology to do it. What then is the elevator on top of that, the the yes. sort of the extra 
that is going to make you stand out over and above your thoughts, your your ideas, your approach, uh, your recommendations uh, over and above the AI. Because if you don't do that, one, you're just being lazy, quite frankly. Um, yeah. Two, the likelihood that in the future, I mean, everyone will be using it. Of course they will be. So you will sound exactly the same as the person uh, or the provider or the consultant that is, uh, you know, next to you which is uh, the quickest way to uh, lose a job, probably. Um, So, yeah, that's my ultimate view. And the other really big thing is, which is why I think, um, well, I'm hoping, who knows, uh, but this, the world I'm in will continue, is the creative elements of our brain at the moment, I think, aren't being used enough. And there's loads of science, again, to suggest they don't light up enough as they should be because we're using the technical sides of our brain. So the the creative, the, the poetry, the reading, the storytelling, all of those bits and um, that make our creative brains light up is getting shorter and shorter. We're spending less and less time on it, on, on the whole, in, in the Western world. So if you continue with that, you're definitely going to be out of a job. Um, if you really build that muscle in your brain and hone in on it, on the creative side of it, there's no chat GPT will be able to kind of, you know, hopefully yeah. at some, you know, it's not going to get there. Um, so that I think is why um, it's so important to work on that side of our brains because the other bits, the bits that's the easy bit that they will be able to, that it will be able to um, produce. Yes, because I was going to ask you as well about because what we're saying is that is that it is an opportunity to give you some time back to actually uh, focus on the, the things that uh, that you've been explaining to us all the way through to, to think about the audience and think about the story. Maybe have one or two stories. All these things that typically go out the window to some extent when we're under time pressure to deliver something because the meeting's tomorrow and we only found out about it today and that, that sort that sort of thing. The, the help is now help is now available Completely to us. Completely spot on and use it to save you time, but don't use that time that you've saved to book in another meeting about yes. a meeting about a meeting. Yeah. Um, or, you know, uh, or, in, you know, we're great fillers of time. Use that to help you build that connection in that meeting. When the slide deck's done for you or the approach or the whatever descriptions that it will produce, you know, is it's there to produce that. Um, use that to find a story that will connect with the other person and they'll remember you because of what you've told them or whatever it might be or the credibility aspect, right, is really important. So I'm going to be interested in you because you've seen this work elsewhere like this or whatever, you know, bringing your experience to life. And then um, that's the time to to dedicate to that. Um, But... I will see what happens, right? Because um, the the I think the you know still more than half percent of people will uh, do it. Will get it, you know, the first draft written, whether it's an email or it's not, and it's just so easy for us to then press send. I mean, imagine our inboxes. I mean, they're already overfilled with emails. They'll be overfilled with emails that uh, say the same thing (laughs) (laughs) in the same in the same style in the same tone. So how will you tell, you know, that it's Anya or Duncan writing you an email um, versus uh, a robot? Yes. Yeah. So you, we, when we've spoken before, uh, Anya, you, you, you said that um, you, you help people 
um, if, even if you've only got 10 minutes of their time, to, you, you tend to give people like three tips you, you, you give people for, you know, right off the bat to actually um, to help people to uh, shift the way they, they go about um, persuading people. And so what are those three tips? Um, I think actually a lot of it is what we've covered already. So right. I would say uh, the first one is definitely put yourself in the other person's shoes. And um, here's a little bit of trick um, to, to ask yourself. Ask what the other person needs to know, how you want them to feel, and what's the action, what's the do. So ask yourself those three questions about the, the message that you're delivering to the other person to put yourself into their shoes and start there. Um, the, second, um, the second thing really is thinking about emotions first and foremost. So the, the feel is really important again with the other audience. Um, so don't forget about how do you want to feel? That's the, the, the question I always ask. Um, yeah. And then so many other things follow. Do you want them to be bored or do you want them to be excited? Do you want them to, you know, so, and, and I often, when I ask this question, people still give me, I want them to feel, they, they tell me what they need to know versus the feel because we're so not used to thinking about this yeah. way. Um, and I guess one of the most important real tips um, is follow Aristotle. This isn't a tip from me. This is Aristotle. The art of persuasion and rhetoric has been around for uh, gazillions of years. And Aristotle, there were many, many, many uh, techniques to persuasion. There's over a hundred, I think. The list is is massive. The rule of three um, metaphors. There's so many things there that we use naturally, actually, in, in speech and in writing. Um, but he believed that the three most important were logos, pathos, and ethos. Now, in the context of what we're talking about, and if uh, our audience has forgotten their Greek, um, or never knew it to start off with. Um, logos is, are you can be getting your message across clearly? So it's the clear clarity aspect, really. Um, does it make sense? Do I understand it? Um, pathos, does it make me feel anything? Back to that uh, feel, does it connect? And ethos, do you have credibility? So do I believe right. you ultimately? Um, are you credible in what you're saying? Do I trust your judgment and your opinion? So, you know, use that as your as as, as your checklist almost yes. as you are producing uh, your slides or if you produce some of your content or as you're reviewing your first draft that uh, ChatGPT has produced. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and have that as a checklist next to you, Logos, Pathos, Ethos, uh, Clarity, Feeling, and Credibility. And if it's there, Fantastic. That probably would suggest you are uh, winning in the art persuasion. If one of those needs tweaking, or ask the other person actually as well. If you've got, uh, you know, if you're coming together with your team, if one of those needs tweaking, that's your cue to do it. So um, go dive into and dive into the world of rhetoric. But I've simplified it massively, so you don't need to read any yes. big heavy uh, textbooks. Um, but this science has been around um, for so, so long. And yeah. a lot of this, we've spoken about this before, is a lot of it is common sense. We know about it. It's just reminding ourselves of it. But the brilliant thing is Aristotle created it before he knew how the brain worked, really. Now we've got all of the support uh, yes. of our brains, of the way that we think, of the way that we work, to actually give Aristotle a big thumbs up. <laughs> he was right. Yes. <laughs> 
Brilliant. Well, I think that's that's a great place to end. So I just wanted to say thanks very much, Anya, for joining us today. It's been absolutely brilliant. And um, I, I like to think we'll have a, quite a few more conversations where we can go into some of the more of the specifics in the future. Yeah. Um, what's the best way for listeners to get in touch with you? Um, there's, well, uh, multiple ways. LinkedIn is probably the best. So uh, find me on LinkedIn, uh, either under Winning Language or Anya Zurakina. The second name is very long. So probably winning language is easier or winninglanguage.co.uk on the website. And there's a get in touch button through through that. So um, lots and lots of ways, uh, lots of ways to get there. Yeah. And I, and I would recommend the Winning Language uh, podcast. Well, the one with Samantha Day is terrific as well. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, um, actually, if, if anyone's at Fringe, uh, I don't know if, uh, depending on when we release it, but she's doing a brilliant show, a second yes. show on Fringe. It's been a year on. Um, but I think the stand-up com- comics have the, the best job uh, in some ways, but the hardest job to convince and to use persuasion to convince their audience to laugh and to yeah. get behind them and not throw not throw tomatoes at them. So um, yeah, there's loads of stuff we could learn from different. Yes, there's a great tie like in that. with what we're talking about here. Yes. Okay, great. And then you, you can find me. I'm uh, Duncan underscore Pryor on Twitter, um, and you can connect me with me on LinkedIn as well. And you can catch up with all our episodes on the BML Digital website or by searching for the Making Things Work podcasts on your preferred audio app. So, and if there's anyone you would like us to have on the show, please do get in touch and we'll be back this time next month with the next episode. Until then, thanks again, uh, Anya, for joining us today and thanks very much for listening. Thanks, Eric, for having me.